Uh, my name is Chris Neal, and I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. I also do the men's ministry here at Grace. And I want to plug April 7th is going to be Macho Night. And so we got something new and exciting. And so I hope you guys will make that a priority in your life and be here April 7th at 6.30 p.m. for Macho Night. You tell you're excited. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Control your excitement. I know. Yeah, there we go. We got something on So I hope everybody's been enjoying the Genesis series. This is the last of our Genesis series. And if you're new here, well... We're getting ready to do some new stuff so you can get caught up on that. But for those of you that have been in groups and been going through Genesis, I, hope, I really hope you've enjoyed it. Like for me, Genesis was like, I never realized how beautiful and like just how masterfully written Genesis was until I got through this series. And I really feel like this series has been a key to help us get started here at Grace. And because this year we're doing the year of Bible studies, really. And I feel like this series has just been a key and a foundational key to that starting off really well. And I feel like this series has been like key in developing the depth of this church because we have like 10,000 houses around us that are getting ready to be built. And trust me, Grace, we're going to need to be deep so that when these people walk in here, they will feel the spirit of the Lord in a different and unique way. And I think this series, if you, especially if you've been in small groups, has really challenged you to, like, to develop your own way to study the Bible and kind of really dig into this, to this book of Genesis. I think it's just been a lot of key things happening in the church in these first few months. And speaking of keys, does anybody have any keys like this laying around their house or in their car? Exactly, right? Online, hashtag keys. Katie, my wife, has had these keys for over 15 years. Since I've known her, she had them before I knew her. And to my knowledge, <laughs> we have never opened anything with any of these keys. <laughs> Ever. And when I get ready to throw them away, she's like, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> we might need those keys. So I don't know if she's secretly a janitor or something at night. I don't know about and That's why she's always so tired and... But she's convinced that, that we need these keys. And so that's kind of how I felt about the book of Genesis, right? Because I've been doing this now about 14 years as a pastor and kind of getting more involved with God. And, and the book of Genesis had been there all this time, but I never really knew what to do with it. But through this series and, and through this personal time that I've had with God in this series and through discussing Genesis in small groups, like it's really changed my understanding of Genesis. It's changed my understanding of how I see God. It's made me love the book of Genesis in a way I never knew I could love Genesis. It's made me see how beautiful God's word is. And so I hope you had like a good experience too. But today, I get the privilege of doing the last message in our Genesis series, and we're going to talk about a guy named Joseph. But I also think this could be a key to helping us see a different aspect and a different characteristic of God, hopefully. But we start with, our, with Jacob, where we left off, and some of you remember Jacob from last week, and he had some special stuff happen to him. But Jacob also had 12 sons. And of his 12 sons, he had a favorite son, and that favorite son was named Joseph. And this is kind of where we pick up the story of Joseph's life in Genesis 37. 
So Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his wives, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. He brought Jacob a bad report about his brothers. And now Israel, remember Jacob got renamed last week, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for Joseph, a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw this, that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So basically, Joseph, he's, he's the favorite son, and he's a snitch with a fancy coat, and he's running around. And if any of you have siblings, or if any of you have kids, you know that when one kid thinks the other kid is more, more, more favorite or, or more like, special than the other kid, it can cause some tension in the family. So we automatically have some tension. But it gets worse because Joseph wasn't, he wasn't just the favorite, right? And he wasn't just a snitch with a fancy coat. He was also a dreamer. In my mind, he kind of looked like this guy right here. <laughs> but Joseph was a dreamer, and he had these dreams about his brothers bowing down before him. And then for some crazy reason, like he felt the need to share these dreams with his brothers who already didn't like him. So that created even more tension in the story, right? And then one day, Jacob's like, go check on your brothers, Joseph, and come back and tell me how they're doing. And I imagine that the brothers hated to see Joseph coming in his fancy coat, be bopping out through the fields. And so he's coming out there on this particular day, like the brothers, they've had enough. And so they actually start plotting to kill Jacob. And so they strip his coat off of him and they throw him in a well. And then they're like, well, let's just have some lunch and decide what we should do. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 37. It says, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to, to Egypt. Judah, so remember that name Judah, said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Wasn't that super nice of him? And so I would imagine at, at this point in the story that Joseph's kind of afraid. He's like kind of feeling alone. He's probably wondering what's going to happen to him. And, he, and he's like totally taken off guard by what his brothers have just done to him. And so Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites and he ends up in Egypt and this man named Potiphar buys Joseph on the auction block. And Potiphar was one of Pharaoh's officials. He was captain of the guard. And now the text tells us like something really interesting to me. Because in all this craziness and, and all this like chaos, the author stops in all this and tells us this about Joseph in Genesis 39-2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And so maybe you're thinking, like I'm thinking, no. Like if the spirit of the Lord was with Joseph, then it would be his brothers that would be in captivity. And he would be at home with his family in his fancy jacket, right? And we think to ourselves, you know, Joseph, he really didn't do anything that wrong. He was a super annoying little brother. But other than that, you know, and then, and then his older brothers, they're all just getting off scot-free, Right? 
But eventually, this guy Potiphar, he starts to realize that the Spirit of the Lord really is on Joseph. And he starts giving Joseph like more and more responsibility. And with that came more and more freedom. And it wasn't until too long that Joseph is actually running everything in Potiphar's whole house. Potiphar worried about nothing when Joseph was in charge. And all this made Potiphar's wife notice Joseph. And one day she comes to Joseph and she says, Joseph, I would like to do the jiggy jiggy with you. Right? <laughs> Hashtag jiggy jig. No. <laughs> and, then, and Joseph, I cannot do the jiggy jiggy with you. I cannot let my master down like that. I would never do that. And so there's this, this scene, and she rips his robe, and he runs off. And then she shows this to Potiphar. Now, technically, in those days, this should have been a beheading. But Potiphar may know something's up, may not, but he ends up throwing Joseph in the prison. And again, we're there, there's this theme that keeps popping up in Joseph's life. The author brings us back to this theme again after Joseph ends up in prison for wrongly being accused again. 39:21 Genesis, it says, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And again, maybe you're like me, like, no, this, this is, no. Because if Joseph has the, the, the favor of the Lord on him, it should be, like, the wife should be in the prison, and he should be back with his family, and he should be free. And this is kind of the mentality that we start to think like if we're not super careful. Like, if I'm good and, and I'm trying to do my best for God, then shouldn't good things happen to me? And, and don't good things happen to good people? And don't, and don't bad things happen to bad people? And if I'm God, why doesn't God bless me? If I'm good, why doesn't my life look like everybody else's Facebook highlight real life? But as we see through the story of Genesis, our outside circumstances are not always a good predictor of whether or not God is with us and for us and loves us. And so as we follow Joseph, good old reliable Joseph, he just ends up running the whole prison. And the favor of the Lord really is on him. And then something interesting happens in Joseph's story. So Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And so a cupbearer is kind of like a, a fancy butler, except for he drank wine to see if it was poison or not before the king got it. But anyway, they fall out of favor with Pharaoh, and they end up in the dungeon where Joseph is running the dungeon. And they've been there for a while, and one day they look sad, and Joseph's like, why are you so sad? And like, well, we had these dreams. Boom. Joseph was a dreamer, right? And Joseph's like, well, tell me your dreams, and I'll pray about it, and maybe tomorrow God will let me know what these dreams are all about. And so he starts with the cupbearer the next day, and this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 40. He says, the cupbearer says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will be Pharaoh's cupbearer again. And then Joseph goes, but when all goes well with you, Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off by my family, from my family, and I don't even deserve to be here. I have done nothing wrong. And then the chief baker's like, whew, that's a good report. He goes, remember me, Joseph? Remember I had this and the basket of bread and the birds and all that? He goes, oh, yes. He, he said, unfortunately, your head will be lifted up too by Pharaoh, never to return to its body. And you're going to be impaled on a pole. So. And then three days later, Pharaoh has a birthday party. Crazy birthday party, I know, right? 
But everything that Joseph had predicted came true. And then the text tells us this in Genesis 40, 23. It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. In fact, he forgot about him. And so I want you to put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment, if you would. Like, first he's innocent, right? And he's interpreted these dreams, and he's walking around the prison, like, because he knows the cupbearer is going to tell Pharaoh, and he just knows that he's going to get a chance to plead his case to Pharaoh. And he's walking around the prison going, this is the day, this is the day, that the Lord. And then like, one day he goes by, right? And then two days go by, this is the day, and then five days, and then 10 days, and then a month. And he's like, hmm, this might be today, I don't know. And then a year goes by, and he's like, I'll probably just keep this song to myself for a while. In fact, two years go by, two more years go by before anything else of significance happens in Joseph's story that they tell us about. And at some point during this two years, like, Joseph's like, well, this is my lot in life. And he probably feels a little alone, maybe forgotten, maybe almost forsaken by God. Because he thought, man, the cupbearer is going to tell him. And for some of us here today, for some of us online, maybe that's how you feel. Like you've been doing your best and you've been trying to do what's right. And one year goes by. And you've been trying your best and you've been trying to do what's right. And then two years go by. And for all you know, like this is your lot in life, to be tucked away and kind of overlooked, and maybe even feel like you're forgotten by the world. But faithful, reliable Joseph, he just keeps living every day like we just see day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. He just continues to live as if God is really with him and for him and cares for him. And now Joseph is 30 years old. And he spent basically half of his life in some kind of bondage or some kind of prison or some kind of oppression. And Pharaoh has a series of dreams. And Pharaoh, he believes that somehow these dreams are like connected to something that has to do with his, with his, with his empire. And so he wants answers and he calls in like these interpreters and these, and these magicians and he wants them to tell him what the dreams mean. And nobody can tell him what the dreams mean. And Pharaoh's like, you can't tell me. Everybody in this palace dies. And then the cupbearer's like, oh yeah, I remember Joseph. How convenient, right? But he's like, Pharaoh, uh, you remember when you threw me in the dungeon a couple years ago? I really hate to bring that part up. But uh, while I was in the dungeon, like, I had a dream. And this guy named Joseph, he told me what the dream meant. And Pharaoh quickly sent for Joseph. And then they shaved Joseph because he'd probably a woolly mess in the prison. And they put new clothes on him. And he comes before Pharaoh. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it is said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love what Joseph says. He says, I can't do that, but God. He says, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so Joseph goes and he tells, he waits and he comes back and he prays and then he comes before Pharaoh and he says, here's what the dreams mean, Pharaoh. He said that Egypt is going to have seven years of abundance. It's going to be an amazing time. There's going to be an amazing harvest. 
And followed by that are going to be seven years of famine. He said the famine is going to be so bad that the abundance, that the great seven years, they won't even be remembered that this is how bad the famine is going to be that's going to come up on Egypt. And Joseph says, you should look for a wise and discerning young man to put in charge of this project. And he'll like store this grain and, and get it ready so that when the famine comes on Egypt, Egypt will not be destroyed by the famine. And Pharaoh's like, that plan seems pretty good. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, he goes, where can we find a man like this on whom the spirit of the Lord is on? And Pharaoh says, since God has made this known to you, there is no one so wise and no one so discerning as you. He says, I'm going to put you in charge of everything, Joseph. He says, you're going to be in charge of my palace and all my people. He says, only with respect to the throne, Joseph, will I be greater than you. And Joseph is ready, right? Joseph is ready to get to work. And we start to see how God has been training Joseph for this moment and training his character for this moment and his integrity for this moment his whole life. And Joseph still smells like dungeon. And now he's the prime minister of one of the strongest nations in the world at that time. And Joseph gets to work because God trained him in Potiphar's house. And he starts managing these resources, and he starts managing these people, and he starts managing these crops. That's what he learned to do in Potiphar's house. He learned how to store grain in Potiphar's house, but he didn't know what God was training him for. And Joseph keeps going. He starts organizing these more resources and budgets, and he brings structure and order and discipline and integrity to this project, just like he'd learned to do in the prison. But he didn't know what God was training for in that prison. Maybe it's your job now, and God's been training you there, like, well, I'm at this job, or maybe you're a single mom, and you're working through it, and you're just trying to do your best, and you're being trained for something. Or men, maybe you're trying to lead yourself and your family courageously. Remember, we tried to do that. We're trying to do that. Maybe you're here, and you're training just to live a drug-free, porn-free, alcohol-free, something-free kind of life, and God is training you. And I'm here to tell you today, and I'm here to encourage you to not stop training. You cannot give up. You cannot admit defeat. You cannot stop training. God has a plan for your life. And so for seven years, man, Joseph's working. He's storing up this grain. He's getting things ready. And then at the end of the seven years, the famine comes and things get bad. They get really bad. In fact, the famine is so severe, it reaches outside the borders of Egypt. And it reaches all the way back to Joseph's family. And this next part of the text is hilarious to me. Genesis 42 says, When Jacob, good old Jacob, still alive, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? That's hilarious. <laughs> like they're just sitting around a campfire. Can't you see it? Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I, got, I heard there's grain in Egypt. Go get us some so we won't die. He's like, you fools, get up and go get us something to eat or we're going to die. Stop being so passive. Get up and do something. And so the boys, they load up and they head to Egypt 
And the stage is set, and now the fortunes have been reversed, right? And the boys, they end up in the exact place at the exact time where Joseph is overseeing the dispensing of grain. And this is where we pick up the story in 42, 6 through 7. It says, now Joseph was the prime minister of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw them, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and even spoke harshly to them. And do you know why they didn't recognize Joseph? Because he walked like an Egyptian, right? <laughs> no, now he's 40 years old. And the last time they saw him, he was this scrawny kid, and he was begging for his life. And now his brothers are on the ground with their faces to the ground. And I'm certain that Joseph had to take a moment and think about all the nights he had spent in that prison and think about that day he was terrified and his own flesh and blood sold him off. They sold him out. And he's thinking about this. And his brothers, they got to be terrified. Like they're on the ground and they're wondering like, why is this guy giving us so much attention? We just want some grain like everybody else around here. And Joseph with one word, man, he could have had his ultimate revenge. He could have had them impaled. He could have had them beheaded. He could have had them thrown in prison. And no one in that period of time would have batted an eye. Happens every day. But instead, we see this heart of God radiate through the heart of Joseph. And instead of revenge, he offers his brothers repentance through a series of tests so that they can receive mercy. In fact, we see this older brother, Judah, remember him? He actually offers to die for his youngest brother, Benjamin. And when Joseph sees their repentance and he sees that their hearts have changed, like in this beautiful moment of mercy and grace, hashtag foreshadowing of Jesus right there. And this is where we pick up the story. Genesis 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no reaping and no plowing. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then later in Genesis, like his brothers, they start to have these doubts and these worries and concerns that, that maybe Joseph, he's not the man that he says he is, that he's not the man of integrity. He's, they're worried that he's going to kill him. And so I just want to read this part to you, and I just close your eyes if you want to, and just listen to these words, because they're so beautiful. And Joseph says... Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And that's the story of Joseph. And that's really the story of Genesis. Remember when we started this thing all the way back in the garden? What God meant to tear down and destroy, what the enemy meant to tear down and destroy and bring harm. 
Like God used that so that many lives will be saved. And we saw in this story, we saw Joseph, like, like God trained him through this, through this time of bondage and oppression. But he used this for divine good. So I want to ask you, what's God training you for? I mean, maybe your struggle with addiction could one day be used to inspire somebody else to beat addiction. That's part of my story. Or maybe you're fighting to control yourself and your emotions and your anger. Maybe that could be used to encourage somebody someday. It's part of my story. Maybe you're here and you're fighting through some chronic pain or you got some physical limitations. And maybe one day that part of your story could be used to encourage somebody else. It's part of my story. Or maybe you're here today and you're having some marriage problems. And you're trying to work through your marriage problems. And then one day God uses all of that so that you're actually counseling and helping other people to work through their marriage problems. It's part of my story and Katie's story. There are so many things in my life that the enemy meant to destroy and to bring down and to tear apart, but God used them for good. In spite of all my sin and all my shortcomings and all my problems and all the time I ran from God, like he led me to this heart of repentance so that he could show me this beautiful mercy and grace and how much he loves and cares for me. And so the story of Joseph is really kind of my story. The story of Genesis, as we've learned, is really kind of our story. The story of the Bible is really our story. Like, it's your story, too. And so this week, I want you to really pray, like, like what are you training me for, God? What can I use my story for? But I also want to encourage you because you can't stop training. You can never give up. You can never admit defeat. You can never yield to the circumstances of life. Like, you got to keep training, Grace. you got to keep training. I want to read this last part to you. Because it really meant a, a lot to me when I wrote it. But, man, this week it just means so much more to me. It says, you will never experience the total good that can come from the bad things in this life unless you live during these hard times as if God is really with you, as if God really loves you, and as if God really cares for you. 